Where is God to be found? During difficult days, in the midst of tragic times, when darkness looms and tears flow in unwelcome abundance, when divine intervention seems to be the only remedy, where might one seek divinity? One answer, and perhaps the best answer, involves a surprising amount of flesh and blood. This is a story about love. Not romantic love, though that's here as well, but kindness, generosity, humility, protection. The kind of love the ancient Hebrews called chesed, an enchanted decision in which acts of devotion go beyond the requirements of duty. This, they said, was Yahweh's love. But you could find it in his people. I'm Justin Gerhardt. Welcome to Holy Ghost Stories. Let me go into the fields. Ruth looks at Naomi, the lines of grief carved on her mother-in-law's face, her unfocused eyes, a mirror of the sadness Ruth feels. Two women walking through the fog of loss, both widowed, both childless, Naomi's sons dead, Ruth's never born, her young husband taken in his prime. And now, Now they're back from Ruth's native Moab, newly arrived in Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem. But why? The rains have returned, replenished the wadis and streams, resurrected the fields. But the rains have not brought back Naomi's friends and neighbors, the ones from years ago before she left, the lives extinguished by starvation. Ruth couldn't blame Naomi for wanting to leave Moab. The place had become a graveyard, haunted by the ghosts of those she loved. And Bethlehem was Naomi's home. Surely, Ruth must have assumed before they left, Naomi had property there, resources, people, a plan. But as soon as they arrived in Judah, it became clear. Naomi had not run to something as much as she had run away. And now she sits, enwreathed in the hanging smoke of sorrow, hypnotized by melancholy, depressed. They'll starve if it keeps up like this. And so Ruth has decided it's time to act. If Naomi will not or cannot, then she will take the lead. The fields Ruth shakes Naomi from her stupor, perhaps. It's harvest time. I'll go out into the fields and pick up the stalks of grain left behind by the gatherers, if I can find someone kind enough to allow it. Yahweh smiles, surely. Ruth's invention is actually a provision in the law he gave through Moses. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. 
leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. And then he'd said, as if to tie his identity to this kindness, I am Yahweh, your God. In fact, when Yahweh authored this command, he'd foreseen this very moment. Naomi blinks, perhaps, and looks finally at Ruth. Go ahead, my daughter. How do you pick one? What makes a good field for leftovers? One that's not picked over, of course, and it's got to be large enough for the leftovers to add up, and one with harvesters that look relatively friendly, safe at least. In these enormous fields, it would be easy for a man to push her down and take advantage of the cover provided by the crops. But how is Ruth to know what to expect in any given field? In the end, this exercise feels like a shot in the dark. The barley fields stretch out in every direction, golden grain rippling in the breeze. That one. Ruth gathers her courage, approaches the field, and walks across the threshold. She walks straight up to the person who looks like they're in charge and makes her pitch. It's been hours. Nervous at first, hoping not to be accosted or shooed away, Ruth has settled into a rhythm. It's slow going, of course. She is not an expert, and this is not easy work. But Ruth is not a person to give up easily. Naomi found this out on the road from Moab, and now Ruth scours the ground as if her life depends on it. It does, of course. And so does Naomi's. Does Ruth pray as she gleans? Does she whisper a plea to the God of her mother-in-law, asking him to look on her, even though she's a Moabite? Does she ask him to ensure that the owner of this field, if he were to arrive and find her doing what she's doing, would show grace and support the overseer's decision to let her gather? Does Yahweh even hear the prayers of, Yahweh be with you, comes a resonant voice booming across the field. The heads of the workers snap up. Ruth, too, looks for the source. A man, well-dressed, grinning. Smiles spread across the harvesters' faces, and the field erupts as if in choreographed response, Yahweh bless bless you. you! It's a startling level of enthusiasm, joy even, on both sides. And yes, he's noticed her. It looks... It looks like he's going to let her stay. Is he still looking at her? Who is that young woman? Who are her people? Boaz sits atop the perimeter fence, perhaps, beside the overseer, a barley stalk extending from his lips as he chews on the end. He points across the field to the only harvester he doesn't recognize. She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. 
with Naomi. The one who... She came up to me and said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. <laughs> Initiative. Gutsy, too, to make that request as a foreigner. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Boaz pushes his bottom lip out as his eyebrows rise, perhaps nodding his head in acknowledgement of an impressive work ethic. He watches her for a few moments, maybe, the barley stalk bobbing in front of him, then hops off the fence and begins walking her way. Young lady, Ruth looks up, that smile. Listen, don't go and glean in another field tomorrow. If Ruth opens her mouth to speak, Boaz doesn't give her the chance quite yet. Stick around here, he nods toward the harvesters. Stay here with the women who work for me, and watch the field where the men are harvesting. I've told them not to lay a hand on you. He glances over at a group of men gleaning in the next field, offers a, but they're not exactly reliable, expression, and continues, and whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars. At this, Ruth bows down with her face to the ground. Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz reaches a hand toward her, helps her up. I've heard all about you. I was told about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. He looks into her eyes, intrigued. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. Ruth smiles a tired smile, perhaps, acknowledging the sacrifice. May Yahweh repay you for what you have done. Boaz's brow furrows as he nods, expressing sincere admiration. May you be richly rewarded by Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth beams. It feels like coming out of the cold. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my lord, she says. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Boaz smiles, puts the stalk of barley back in his mouth, perhaps, nods, and walks away. Scythes swish across the field. It sounds like bursts of applause. Shadows lengthen, stretching across the ground. Sheaves stand stacked and tied, bundled and ready for what comes next. Late afternoon light casts a halcyon aura on the already golden harvest. The smell of baked bread moves through the air alongside wisps of happy conversation. Dinner time in the fields. Ruth! Her eyebrows dip at the sound of someone here saying her name, the unentitled wonder of being known in a new place. It's Boaz. Come over here. She's still gleaning, gathering every bit of barley she can before dusk threatens. No time to waste. But she rises at the invitation, looks down at what she's gathered, perhaps, and wipes her brow, exhausted. The food smells divine. Have some bread, says Boaz. He rips a piece from his own loaf, maybe, holds it out to her. She smiles, takes it. No, no, Ruth stops short of her mouth. 
dip it in the wine. Well, wine vinegar. Boaz smiles, holding out a cup. If she hesitates, Boaz might grin. What, do they not do this in Moab? Well, welcome to Judah. You'll like it. Ruth obliges, eats hungrily, and Boaz offers her a seat amongst the other harvesters. It feels so good to be welcomed. This place, these customs, their dialect, it's all different. Of course, if Ruth hadn't been up for different, she never would have married a foreign man. But now she's the foreigner. Someone passes around a bowl of freshly roasted barley. It smells warm and deep. Notes of chocolate and coffee and smoke. Ruth takes a handful, chews, swallows. It's so bitter, this fireborn grain. Maybe she thinks of what her mother-in-law said not long ago when they arrived in Bethlehem. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Bitter. Ruth takes another handful, glad to be eating, listens to the conversation, joins in, even, perhaps. And then, up again. Boaz watches as Ruth makes her way out to the field while the others continue their conversations. He turns to the men, let her gather among the sheaves, and don't reprimand her. He fingers a stalk of barley, perhaps, thinking, looks out at her working and says, in fact, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. Ruth turns and makes her way down another row and another, wonders, surely, at the kindness offered to her by this new acquaintance. Finally, the sky blushes with the setting sun, high white clouds streaking across the firmament like gorgeous scars. Ruth threshes her barley and walks back to town with an ephah of grain, a fantastic day's gathering. If she can do this each day through the harvest, she and Naomi will have more than enough for the year. When Ruth arrives home, Naomi's eyes widen. All this? This, too. Ruth pulls out a pouch. Cocoa-colored grains tumble into Naomi's cupped hands. Roasted barley, Ruth says, perhaps. You'll like it, a gentle wink. It's bitter. Where where did you glean today? Naomi lifts a handful of the threshed barley, lets the seeds fall through her fingers. This is more than scraps. Ruth gives Naomi a sly smile, perhaps, shrugs her shoulders. Naomi bites, asking again, Where did you work? Eyes the sack of grain again. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Ruth grins. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Naomi gasps. Boaz? Yahweh bless him. He is showing kindness to us and to to the living and the dead. A resolute smile. She takes Ruth's hands in her own, perhaps, looks her in the eyes. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Ruth knows about this practice. It's codified into the Hebrews' law, but it's part of Canaanite culture as well. 
If a woman's husband dies before she bears a son, her dead husband's closest relative is to take her as a wife and enable her to have a family, becoming her guardian redeemer. Any son born of that union will be considered the son of the widow's late husband, continuing their family line, inheriting and sharing with his mother whatever was due the man she lost. If the next of kin cannot or will not step up, the opportunity moves to the next closest man, and so forth, creating a directory of potential redeemers. Boaz is on Naomi's list. Had Naomi forgotten this? Had she given up because she's likely just past childbearing age? If so, why is she excited about this now? Perhaps, perhaps Boaz's kindness toward Ruth has given her an idea. If he was willing to look out for a foreigner like this, maybe, maybe he'd be willing to, it would be an extension of him doing this for me. And then both of us would be, it's like Naomi has awoken from a trance. This is not the grief-deadened woman Ruth left this morning. Naomi's enthusiasm is contagious. Ruth's eyes brighten. He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. He wants me to stay in his fields until the harvest is over. Naomi nods. It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. A nod. A shared smile hope. The barley fields are cropped, the grain claimed by the sickles, the rows cleaned by the gleaners. Time for the soil to rest, and time for the farmers to celebrate. There's winnowing still to do, of course, but the sheaves have been brought in and the heads have been threshed. It's almost time to enjoy what Yahweh has been growing all winter. Ruth and Naomi are at their house or their apartment or whatever accommodation they've secured. Or maybe they're on a walk or shopping for figs at the market. Wherever they are, Naomi chooses this moment to enact the plan. How does one distinguish between a self-authored plan and a plan God himself bestows? Short of him speaking aloud, which he is often not wont to do, what are the signs of a scheme's divine genesis? One simple indication, what fruit does this plan bear? A difficult litmus test, admittedly, as it can only be applied in hindsight, but an effective one nonetheless. The fruit is bound to reveal the identity of the tree. If Naomi's present notion were to be assessed thusly, if the fruit this plan bears in the days and weeks and years to come were examined, the verdict would return unambiguous. This has Yahweh written all over it. Of course, someone may take a God-authored plan and augment it a bit. Whether that happens here will be the subject of conversation for millennia. Certainly, a layering of divine and human methods can result in some real complexity. And yet, this is how Yahweh works. My daughter, 
Ruth loves that Naomi still calls her this, I must find a home for you, where you will be well provided for. Ruth smiles, surely, offers a, stop Naomi, that's not your responsibility, kind of look, but Naomi continues. Ruth pledged herself to Naomi back in Moab, and in that moment, Naomi, it seems, reciprocated this promise of loyalty, even if she did not articulate her intent. Besides, for Ruth to survive here as a foreigner and a husbandless widow, well, she won't. Now, Naomi says, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. I know who he is, Naomi. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. She goes on, and Ruth's eyes get wide. She hasn't looked like this for, well, a long time. Ruth emerges, giving Naomi a look at her. The bath did her quite a bit of good, especially after the last couple of weeks of dusty work. Her hair is freshly coiffed, lustrous in the candlelight. And this outfit, they're the best clothes she owns. She looks lovely. And this, Naomi holds up a bottle of perfume, turns it on her finger, dabs the elixir behind Ruth's ears. Now you're ready. Ruth nods and heads down to Boaz's threshing floor. It's like a dance floor, really. A paved surface behind one of the fields, maybe 500 square feet, It's the place where the harvesters lay out the stalks of barley and lead a team of oxen around in circles, treading out the grain, their weight and the friction of their hooves separating the husks from the kernels. Right now, the threshing floor is full, laid thick with threshed barley, just winnowed grain piled beside, the fruit of an entire growing season. It's money, essentially. And until it's all winnowed and brought in, Boaz, like all farmers, will be sleeping on it. An old custom, a way to celebrate and guard the precious blessing of Yahweh. Ruth sneaks onto the threshing floor, finds the blankets that Boaz's servants have set out for him at the far end of the floor, checks her outfit and her hair, and waits. Boaz shuffles out of the house, sounds of mirth echoing behind him. Harvest time is always marked by celebration, lots of food and plenty of wine. He walks slowly, happily, stars scattered like salt, pulse and shine. The moon lights the way to the threshing floor. Finally, Boaz arrives. His eyes are heavy, laden with sleep and food and drink. As he lies down contentedly on the blanket beside the pile of winnowed barley, does he think about the harvest? Play back over the last several days in his mind? As he rehearses the days and the alfresco dinners and the faces of the laborers, 
does he think of her, of that unexpected arrival who showed up in his field and put his other workers to shame? Does he recall her face when she first tried the bread dipped in vinegar? Does Boaz wish he had a wife? Ruth waits in the darkness until his breathing deepens, lengthens. The sound of crickets gives way to the hooting of owls as Bethlehem folds its wings to roost. The occasional dog bark, but mostly silence, charged silence. Something is about to happen, silence. Finally, Ruth creeps over to the sleeping Boaz and does everything her mother-in-law told her to do. She crouches, reaches slowly toward the blanket spread over Boaz. She folds the end back, exposing his feet to the chilly night air. Then the woman lies down near the man's feet, perpendicular to his body. This posture will puzzle those of later generations who encounter the story. But here, now in Judah, the message is clear. Boaz will understand that Ruth is offering herself as a wife. She is, essentially, proposing to him. Of course, the hope is that Boaz will not take advantage of the solitude and the darkness and Ruth's vulnerability and rape her. It's entirely possible, and the thought of such a turn is terrifying, but Ruth has proven she is no slave to fear. Her heart pounding, Ruth waits for the chill to do its work and awaken a cold-toed Boaz. Then, suddenly, something, a dog bark or an accidental jostle as Ruth shifts position or a more supernatural something, startles Boaz awake. He blinks in the darkness, turns, and there at his feet is a woman. "'Who are you?' he exclaims. "'I am your servant, Ruth.' she says. And then she goes a bit off script. The same idea of Naomi's plan, but bolder. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now there can be no mistaking Ruth's proposal. Boaz's mind races. He is in line as a guardian redeemer for Naomi's family. He's known this, of course. And so why hasn't he acted? Well, for one, he's not the first in line. There's a closer relative in Bethlehem who has primary responsibility and opportunity to step in. Two, Ruth is a Moabite, a foreigner. Also, if he took her as a wife, he'd be accepting responsibility for Naomi as well. That's no small... Of course, Ruth isn't just looking out for herself. She's thinking of Naomi. Otherwise, she could seek any husband, and without the added obligation to Naomi that comes with being a redeemer, they'd probably have her. She's from Moab, but she's, well, quite a woman. Beyond that, she's... She looks different when she's not in work clothes, 
her face smeared with barley dust. So here she is, in all her beautiful courage, choosing him, and in so doing, showing incredible faithfulness to Naomi, asking him to volunteer. Yahweh bless you, young lady, he replies. This kindness is greater than that which you showed to Naomi earlier. You haven't run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Ruth is resolute, but Boaz can tell here in the darkness that she is aware of her vulnerability. Don't be afraid, Boaz assures her. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Now, although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer for your family, there is another who is more closely related than I am, he thinks. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if the other man wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing... Then, as surely as Yahweh lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. In this invitation, is Boaz concerned for Ruth's safety out in the fields in the middle of the night, or does he like being close to her? A while before dawn, Ruth wakes. Boaz is up. It seems he's been thinking some more. No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Were anyone to misconstrue what went on here, Ruth and Boaz would be in trouble. And Boaz needs the element of surprise for the conversation he has planned. Ruth rises and Boaz says, Give me the shawl you're wearing. Hold it out. At his direction, Ruth spreads out the fabric like wings. Boaz pours six measures of barley into it and wraps it around her. He smiles, nods, and leaves for town. Time to make this happen. Black turns gray as dawn arrives, shy at first and then insistent, bestowing a deep cerulean and then rouging the horizon as if the bottom of the sky were stained with pomegranate juice. The light just catches a woman moving through the streets of Bethlehem, her front bulging with the blessing of seed. Within one of the houses, another woman waits anxiously, eagerly, as if she's expecting news. Near the city gates, a man strides toward the already gathering elders with purpose, his lips moving, perhaps, as if he's rehearsing a speech. And as the pinions of day unfurl, Yahweh watches the little town of Bethlehem, smiling. Advent is in the air.
Hey, Justin here. Thanks so much for listening to part two of The Alchemist, The Strangers, and The Volunteer. It's been great to hear from so many of you who've been excited about experiencing the story of Ruth this way. It's a joy to tell it. There is one more chapter to the story that's coming next. It will be the season three finale, and it's such a good ending. I cannot wait to share it with you. All right, let me tell you real quick about Holy Ghost Stories Live, the very first live experience of Holy Ghost Stories that is happening this fall in Midland, Texas. Guys, as of about two weeks ago, the show is completely sold out. I'm so thrilled by the response, and I'm absolutely chuffed, as my friends in England say, about what's in store. Live accompaniment from the incredible Kendall Ramsour, whose work you can hear on The Lion, the Witch, and the War Zone in Season 2. We'll have members of the Midland Symphony Orchestra on stage as well, along with Kara Zimmerman, who sings like an angel, and I'll be telling two of my absolute favorite Holy Ghost stories. It will be an unforgettable night of story and song and an experience with Yahweh that I'm confident you will cherish. Those of you who snag tickets, I'm so excited for you. Kendall and myself and the team at First Methodist Midland are working very hard and can't wait to be with you on October 30th. If you didn't get tickets, I'm sorry. I wish we had room for more, but who knows what the future holds. I certainly intend for this to be the first live show I can invite you to, not the last. Now, exciting Season 4 update. If you haven't heard, Season 4 of Holy Ghost Stories is going to be, and I mean this in the truest sense of the word, epic. I'm telling the story of Moses and the Exodus across 10 episodes. It's an absolutely astonishing story in which we get an incredibly intimate portrait of Yahweh, and I'm not telling it alone. Kendall Ramsour will be creating an original score for every single episode. We'll be able to develop themes and leitmotifs and tell this fabulous story not just with words, but with music. It's a ton of work and represents a significant cost, so I'm asking for you to partner with me to make it happen. I think we can come up with the funds together. The score alone will cost $7,500 per episode, but we've already raised $22,000. Amazing. In the end, this will be around 300 minutes of storytelling. That's about three feature film lengths worth. Viewed that way, I think the cost is fantastic. Do you know what the budget was for that Noah movie years back? $125 million. $125 million spent on that. We can do better. It just takes people willing to invest in the art. So if you want to give or your church wants to pitch in, you can do that in a matter of seconds at holyghoststories.org slash give. holyghoststories.org slash give. Thank you. You're going to love season four. Finally, big thanks to the patrons of the show over on Patreon who make it possible for me to devote full-time work to Holy Ghost Stories and a shout-out from all of us to the Tours. Dawn, Catherine, Jean-Paul, Tiffany, Jack, Rebecca, Sarah Beth, Ginger, Luke, Derek, Debbie, Aaron, Stephanie, Vicenta, Cheyenne, Boo, Helen, Elizabeth, Susan, Rick, Maddie, April, Eric, Jody, John, Ricky, Brandy, Kimmy, Steve, Patrick, Liz, Stevens, Terry, Jack, Nelwyn, Julie, Jamie, Stephen, Trina, Jessica, Ken, Alyssa, Sloan, Kara, and Jamie. The chesed you guys are showing me. Well, you're the Boaz to my Ruth. Thank you. Till next time. Thank you.